Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the Daily Dose of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Listen, everybody, I have been a little bit away. We've had some things going on personally, but I'm glad to be back. And let me tell you, we are not short of stories today to talk about. And because of that, I have our fearless leader, Suzanne Downing, here with me. Suzanne, how are you doing? It has been an amazing week. There is so much news going on, and I, I know we're not going to get to it all. We're going to get to a few of the big pieces, but everybody can always catch up on mustreadalaska.com and, and see what else is going on. Absolutely, and I want everybody to know we got a new thing. Every story we talk about here on the podcast will be linked in the show notes. So if you want to go directly to that story, because I reference a lot of those stories, you can find them all in the show notes. Also, guys, you killed it. We're at 172, how would we say, five-star reviews, I guess I would say. I mean, they're not all five-star, but most of them are. Thank you, guys. 172. We are cooking to 200. I just want to say thank you. I'm not going to go ahead and plug it. I just want to say, man, you guys were awesome, and uh, we're well on our way to ranking higher and higher. So thank you, guys. But today, Suzanne, let's get into it. The breaking story of today, the Supreme Court essentially has nixed the Biden COVID vaccine mandate, and we need to, there's nuance to this, of course, but really when it comes to the Biden mandate for organizations or, or companies with over 100 employees that would either have to mandate vaccines or do uh, weekly testing, that has been, that there's a hold on that. There's a stay on that right now. Uh, no, it was Supreme actually Court. just, it was actually just, it was just actually voted down for, for the large companies with 100 uh Employees for more. That was there's no stay. That is just voted down. Um, that that oh, so that's done. done. Yeah, that oh, okay. was on a okay. Yeah, and and basically it is uh, if you're one of the large companies in Alaska and you don't want to mandate vaccines uh, for COVID vaccines for your employees, the federal government cannot have OSHA. The Biden administration was way overstepping its boundaries, as you all knew that they were. Um, to to force OSHA or to make OSHA the authority of that. And it was really interesting what they wrote. If you go to the story at mousefreedalaska.com, you will see the, the kinds of things that they said. Things like the Solicitor General, who was the one who defended Biden's uh, position, uh, argued that the risk of contracting COVID qualifies as such a danger, like a huge occupational danger. And, and the, the court writes, we cannot agree. It's a, it's a risk, but there are other risks too. There are risks at schools. There are risks on buses in communities. There's also risks that, like uh, Scott. Like they mentioned air pollution and crime or communicable diseases. I mean, like gonorrhea or something. They they mentioned there were lots of the different risks that OSHA doesn't have the regulatory authority over, and that they just went too far. Now, you know that this did not apply to the other case. There were two cases, so they did they did That's agree right. that health that healthcare workers could be mandated to either vaccinate or test and mask. Test and mask is the is the key there. 
So um, anyway, it's a really interesting case uh, day in the Supreme Court. As we knew, this, these things were argued last week, it argued for over four hours uh, in front of the Supreme Court. It was a very historic day. Uh, big deal. Absolutely. And I think it's a victory for freedom and personal choice. Number one, a couple of nuanced things to that. Uh, I'm glad that you said that in terms of it struck down. Here's the thing. When you looked at what the Supreme Court said, I found it very fascinating. And, and I'm going to try to do layman's terms here. And you can help me massage this a little bit here, Suzanne. But essentially it was the scope of OSHA uh, in this particular mandate goes beyond because the court said you can get it at home. You can get it at schools. It's not just relegated to the workplace. Well, and so most, by people get, most people getting it at home, right? Correct. So the scope of that is so broad and uh, beyond their reach that that was that was sort of a point, which I thought was interesting. And a lot of people, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that when this this was going on. The other thing I find really, really interesting is the fact of what is considered a healthcare worker and how does that apply? So the, the actual mandate that went through, are we just talking practicing individuals like CNAs, nurses, surgical techs, doctors? Or if you're a part of the administration or non-healthcare working side, like a marketer, philanthropy, a CEO, whatever it may be, are you now lumped into healthcare worker? Other words, is it the location that you're considered a healthcare worker or is it an actual job function that you're considered well, a healthcare worker? Well, so they, they, this, this particular case was Biden versus Missouri. And they basically, it, they said that Medicare and Medicaid do have the authority as federal agents, uh, agencies to uh, Centers for, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, that is, the CMS, has the authority over hospitals and, and any kind of uh, clinics or doctor's offices where they reimburse federal dollars to them. So if you're like a concierge doctor and you're just one of these doctors that caters to the wealthy and you don't take Medicare or Medicaid, this does not apply to you. But if you take federal dollars then they're saying that the Department of Health and Human Services can actually oversee this. So it's not OSHA, it's, it's uh, DHHS that actually mm -hmm. oversees this. And it, 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 so, they're saying it fits in their power because they're giving you money. So is that a slippery slope in my mind to those who actually receive Medicare or Medicaid, that they would actually have the authority to enforce mandated vaccinations to those who are actually receiving care from these programs? Well, it, it does. And, and actually, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, he actually filed a dissenting opinion. And it was that was joined by um, Alito and Gorsuch and um, Amy Coney Barrett. And he basically argued that this actually grants DHSS, HHS, unlimited vaccination power over all healthcare workers. In other words, it, it can be everything. We could have you say, you're going to have to be vaccinated for shingles if you are a healthcare worker and you receive federal, if, you're, if your organization receives federal money, you're going to have to be vaccinated against any, you know, any vaccine that, that comes along, they can mandate. And, he, and they're right, using that argument, it does give the federal government unlimited vaccination control over healthcare workers in those organizations, which is almost all of them, except for, like I said, the very, very uber wealthy people who go to doctors who only take cash payments. Yeah. And again, with this, it leaves it always open. And, and that's the concern to me is, is I, I would agree with that. You, you pretty much give unfeathered power to that particular department of the government uh, to mandate whatever they want to. But I, oh, yeah. I think this was generally speaking, this was a huge win for freedom, uh, private business. And uh, of course, uh, the Biden administration put out a, a release 
statement that encouraged companies to still go ahead and move forward and mandate vaccinations uh, themselves as opposed to him having to force them to do so. But there were so many things wrong with this anyways. I mean, setting up the infrastructure for something like this, uh, being able to keep uh, an account, a record of everything, and, and then the process for getting this to the administration. It was always a botched issue nonetheless, but it was certainly was a gross overreach of the federal government. And uh, it was a test to see whether or not I think our Constitution and the Supreme Court would hold up personal freedoms, particularly in the, the private sector as well. Um, so uh, for me, it's a huge relief. I don't know. I mean, obviously, in must read Alaska. We've got four going strong, but, the, you know, they're not all, <laughs> yeah, they're not we, all full we're not, time. We're not regulated yet by the federal government, although I, I did hear Joe Biden today ask all media and social media to shut down all misinformation, which I mean, that's a, an order from the president to the media to shut down whatever he believes and his administration believes is misinformation. So, yes, we aren't regulated yet, but we're watching. We got our eye on those guys. Right. What what happened when Trump tried to regulate things? Let's see if the mainstream media goes after Joey for that one. But anyways, yeah. moving, staying on the COVID topic, let's there has been some interesting reports put out by DHSS here in Alaska in regards to COVID. And you and I talked about this before we started recording. Uh, I want to focus this conversation because we can go on. I, I could go on COVID for hours. We don't have hours. I want to focus on uh, the report that was released by DHSS, particularly Table 8, and it's reported COVID vaccine breakthrough cases by a month of specimen collected among Alaska residents over the age of 12. And these really focus on breakthrough cases. I want to talk about the break breakthrough cases here in Alaska. Right. Okay. Well, real quickly, uh, they do a report yep. every month it's from the Department of the Division of Epidemiology, and they're looking at COVID. They're looking a lot at a lot of different things, hospitalization, mortality. And one of the things they look at every month is break what they call breakthrough cases. This is where the vaccine has failed. And of course, if you remember in January of this past year, uh, well, in, in January of 20, from January 2021 through November 2021, in January, there were only two known uh, breakthrough cases. Well, honestly, we didn't start getting our vaccines until a little bit later in the year. So right. a lot of Alaskans started getting their vaccines in March. By March, there were 119. And that was like 3% of, of the actual cases of COVID that were diagnosed were breakthrough cases. And then in April, it was 5%. And then in May, it was 9%. Then it went up to 22, 30, 34. We are up to now 42% of all the cases in Alaska that are diagnosed of COVID are actually considered breakthrough cases. In November, um, we had... Uh, a little less than half of the cases that we had in October. October, we had a lot of cases, 18,008 cases. And 39% of those were, were considered to be breakthroughs. In November, we dropped down to 8,850 and 42% of those are breakthroughs. So what we're seeing is a vaccine that is very imperfect. And so the, it ties back into what we were talking to about before, which is a federal government trying to force everybody to take a vaccine where we are now up to a 42%. And next month, you know, when the December report comes out, that will be 44%. And then it, it, by the end of summer, it will be 50%. And so what is what is vaccinated? Is it vaccinated? Does that include your booster shot or your second booster shot? How many shots do you have to have to be fully vaccinated? 
And how, you know, how are we going to do with these breakthroughs? What are we going to do about this? This is a huge story and I haven't written it yet, but I will be writing this story this evening. So people can check into that. You won't be able to link it in the, in the show notes. That's what I'm saying. Well, I can write the report and I might do that, but yes, you're absolutely right. We talked a little bit about this and the fact that you're writing. I'm going to try to make this as clear and quick as possible to get my micro machine voice on. Everybody on this podcast knows that I am a big proponent of data, but more importantly, I'm a big proponent of actual raw data. I'm less interested in the 36,000 foot view, which you get from the ADN when they're reporting this information. You get just sort of the overall brand view. So to make the point in table eight, you would get, hey, in September, there was 19,891 cases. What you don't get is 35% of those cases were breakthrough. Hey, in October, you get 18,008 cases. What you don't get is 39% of those were breakthroughs. They weren't telling you the whole story. What they were telling you and scaring you with was look how many cases. And they were throwing the narrative out there. And I said this to you before we started, man, it was so interesting how everybody were still bashing the unvaccinated. This mm-hmm. is, as Joe Biden would say, and this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, guess what, Joe? That's not true. That is clearly not the case. And you're absolutely right. And if you go through the sort of timeline of the last two years in Alaska, last on 2020, you saw a big uptick in cases because it finally like COVID hit. Everybody was get, were getting COVID. Then it came back down in 2021 in January, as you see it. And as you know, talk about flattening the curve in June of 2021, we only had 791 cases. Not right. because everybody's outdoors. Correct. And 22% of those, actually almost 23% of those cases were breakthrough. 23. So yeah. that's right. Then you have the Delta variant, which is why you get the uptick in August, September, October was that uptick in, in the Delta variant, which was somewhat effective, but not really by the numbers when it came to the vaccine. And now what do you have? You have the Omicron variant, which blows right through the vaccine. I mean, we are seeing nationally record numbers of people who are vaccinated and boosted one, two, three, and even four times coming down with COVID. So the question is really this, when is the narrative, when are people going to go, you know what, this is kind of bull crap. This whole, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's just absolute bull crap. And when are we going to start saying, you know what, ADN, great. Thanks for keeping me updated. And you're throwing that little twist. Well, the hospitals are not overthrown yet. It's because the variants are getting weaker the vaccine is not helping. And what we're seeing is, is that now we're starting to see that natural immunity is much more effective in fighting the Omicron variant than we than there is in the vaccination. So this is this is vindication for me somewhat because the proof's in the pudding. If you can read it, but we're not getting that at the ADN, are we, Suzanne? We're not getting that in mainstream media. We're no, getting we're getting a bunch of, of horse crap. We get a lot of fear mongering out there and we're still seeing it. And and I, I don't downplay the, the virus. I consider the virus to be deadly. I've lost family members to it. And I know you have too. Everybody has lost family members to it. And it is a really, um, it has been a really bad virus. And I don't know that Omicron is safer or, or, or less safe because it's, um, it's, it's new. We're not hearing a lot about it. We're just, uh, we're getting a lot of varying reports. I just, um, I just don't know what to make of it. No, I disagree. I not disagree with you. I agree with you that I don't want people to take my frustration as minimizing the 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 virus's uh, effect on not just the country but the world. However, the, the irresponsibility 
of information from the mainstream media has been earth shattering. The historians will look back at this time and go, holy crap, what were they doing back there? Or maybe not, oh, you know. Abs- no, absolutely. His- History is not going to be kind to us on this one. So when, when we talk about the Omicron variant, I mean, we're getting reports out of South Africa. We're getting reports out of England. We're getting reports out of Israel. We're getting reports from doctors here in town, the town here in nationally that are getting censored. I can think of many doctors now that are, are getting pushed off of Twitter and social media, YouTube that have uh, kind of come out and said, listen, this Omicron variant, it, it's again, I'm not a doctor, but I have listened and read a lot. It's, it's not going deep into the lungs anymore. It's staying sort of at the pharynx, larynx area. And uh, it, it kind of, what that indicates is a weakening of the virus not being able to get down deep into the lungs. Does that mean it's any less deadly? I don't know. That's still out. But I do know that doctors are saying, listen, it has circumvented the vaccine. I know Pfizer's out there saying we're going to try to get an Omicron, Omicron yeah. vaccine. Yeah, vaccine ready. There's a lot of this stuff going on. And at the end of the day, I think more than anything else, we want the American people, for the most part, I think want the opportunity to choose. That's all I'm saying. And and, and, and understand the data. And we do choose. I mean, I've chosen to go ahead and get the vaccine because of my age. And I just figure, you know, I'd like to live a few more years because I'm enjoying life. But other people uh, don't want to take it because they don't want to be part of that control. They, you know, they're going to be part of the control group, and I'm going to be the guinea pig, and, and I'm good with that. But I don't know how many how many of these shots am I going to take? I don't know. I gotta tell you, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about ha- get, having to get a shot every five months. That's not working for me. Absolutely. Well, regardless of that, I think this is interesting information, and it's important that we continue to push that out. And Suzanne, you've been phenomenal at that. But not only pushing information. Uh, out that we're getting from from agencies, but also the fact that right now in Alaska, we're getting information not just from agencies, but from people on the ground, people Alaskans, about how crazy the supermarket, Costco, Walmart, all the the shelves are when it comes to food, particularly. But we have got we put out a social media post you did uh, on Must Read Alaska. It's Facebook.com/slash Must Read Alaska. You put a Facebook. Post out there saying, hey, take a picture of your local store or Costco or whatever of the shelves and, and let us know what's going on. Like we're seeing it here, but is that statewide? And uh, yeah, it is definitely statewide. There seems to be an issue. Well, it is most certainly what I, I did is I I got a picture of the cars on Huffman and, and the dairy shelves were just bare. And I've, I've been noticing this over at Fred Meyer on Diamond and some of the other places that I shop in Midtown at the cars that you'll go in and you'll say, you know, it's just like a, a quarter, half and half. Well, you can't get a quarter, half and half. You have to get a quart of fat-free half and half, or you have to get a, a pint of heavy whipping, whipping cream, but you just can't get half and half or something, just things like that. Well, this this time the, the shelves were absolutely bare in the in the milk section, and so it's not not just me. I mean, I can live without half an half. I can use almond milk or something, I guess. But it's odd. I mean, I grew up in Juneau, and we, I'm just used to not being able to mil- buy milk sort of half of the week because the barge came in once a week, and if you didn't get your milk uh, when the barge came in on like Wednesday or Thursday, it was sour by Friday if there was any left. So we kind of had things like powdered milk when I grew up because that's the way it was. But I haven't seen it this bad since then, since the 60s, and um, since the supply chain sort of got to be a just-in-time supply chain. But I am telling you, uh, all across Alaska, from Fairbanks to Ketchikan, people are sending pictures in, and it's the same everywhere. 
is also the same down south. It's the same in Memphis and Milwaukee and Houston and Hawaii. People are, are up on social media saying, this is a normal and this shouldn't be normal. So it's starting to look like uh, these supply shortages. Now, here in Alaska, we're at the end of the supply chain. And so I wrote a story about it. We had like over 500 comments and a lot of them were people saying, yeah, I mean, this is really worrisome. So I wrote a story about, you know, what's the deal? We're at the end of this supply chain here in Alaska, and we don't, we can't grow that much of our own food. So it's um, something to look at. And I know that Governor Dunleavy is looking at it. He's got uh, some money in his budget to start reinforcing food security in Alaska and getting more people to get into farming and to reinforce some storage options for Alaska. And it just, uh, we need to become a little bit more self-sufficient. And I applaud him for that because I think that we do. Um, we we import everything in Alaska except oil. Well, we import oil too. I guess we import a lot of gas these days. We have so much gas, but of course we have to import it, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I listen. Just just anecdotally, myself, I went in the other day just to look for creamer, and they were out. Like yep. only the specialized flavored creamer that a selected right. people want uh, was available, and it, and it's really interesting. Again, nationally. The, the narrative from the Biden administration is it's Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. Trump did this, Trump did this, Trump did that. It's always Trump. Like the talking point is if it's wrong, it's Trump's fault. But the reality is this. Uh, we've been seeing this. You've been talking about it. I've been talking about it. Now we're talking about it even more. The fact that ports are being backed up. You, if you go to Must Read Alaska, again, I'll link the, the, the story in the show notes. But there's a picture of Seattle's freight dock and the miles, like, of of just containers in there is pretty containers. astounding. I took that yeah. one. I was flying. I was flying from um, uh, Anchorage to uh, Seattle in December to go visit my mom, and I took that picture out the airplane window because it's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Where it just stacked up. Well, I'm, I I took another trip in January, and it was even worse. Quite honestly, there were a whole bunch of, of barges out in the in the channel there in Puget Sound filled with containers stacked five high. So it has really backed up in Seattle and of course Tacoma, Port of Tacoma as well. And that is that is a problem for us because um, you know that's kind of the choke point for a lot of freight in Alaska. Absolutely. And and I know that some of the things are being blamed on you know the the COVID situation, but also there's labor shortages. And a lot of that is because the forced man uh vaccinations, a lot of people said, nah, I'm good, I'm out. So now you have a labor shortage issue and and of course, weather plays in it all the time and, and whatnot. So this is a real problem. And and I would I would hope we can figure this out, particularly with this um, Supreme Court ruling. People will go back to work now. They'll actually go back to their job that they had, which the Biden administration will claim as, uh, look it, we've got 150,000 new jobs, which is just people going back to work as opposed to any yeah. new jobs created. Sorry, but, that was yeah. Yeah, man, uh, it is something that's really, really important that we continue to look at, particularly in Alaska. Like you said, we're at the end of the, the supply chain, and uh, this will affect us severely. We have some interesting you know, things that happened on Tuesday night. One of the things I want to talk about is the fact that Mayor Dave Bronson introduced a bill proposition to ask voters if they want to keep essentially the muni clerk. And so what's this bill? Well, the ballot prop is this. Mayor Bronson wanted to introduce a ballot proposition that would say the municipal clerk is an elected position elected by the people every three years. 
And so I'm going to give you my two cents. And then, of course, you're going to you're going to correct me and course correct me. This is a move which I think is really important because right now the municipal clerk has just hired and sits there. And as you've seen, and we've talked about this before with you on the podcast, there are things that have been looked at as a little bit of a side eye, a little bit of skeptical hippo, as I like to say, that this would allow accountability, transparency, and responsibility by electing the municipal clerk every three years. And I think that's what the Bronson administration wants to do, is provide some accountability for this position and not have it what it is now, which seems to be, you know, Barbara Jones is very much in the camp of the left-leaning assembly, and that's played out in this election cycle. When it comes to the mayoral election, it comes out with the proposed changes, the Title 28. It comes out in the fact that when uh, there is the public that was trying to get uh, recall efforts to some of the assembly members, they were just outright denied and had to go to federal court, excuse me, not federal court, had to go to court here in Alaska and in order to reach the Supreme Court here in Alaska. I mean, there is a trail of crumbs that shows that this this particular position, which has a lot of power, and directly affects elections. And the municipal clerk works for the assembly. There's a little bit of, we talked about this before. I'm rambling. I'm going to stop. Suzanne, correct me. Make, make the, the listeners understand that I'm not crazy, but there is some actual truth to this. And it would be a good idea to have yeah. the municipal clerk, not just accountable, but also responsible for what goes on. Well, actually, um, in a lot of places, the municipal clerk is elected, just like in some places, the, the coroner is elected. In some places, the uh, the auditor is elected. These are elected positions because they, then and the sheriff is elected because then they are accountable to the public. And in this case, you have a, a woman who is running the elections, who is wholly responsible to the assembly. And of course, that means the elected people on the assembly are her boss and she's going to protect her bosses, and she has been protecting her bosses greatly. We've seen it. Barbara Jones has done a lot of things that is that have really raised some questions about the neutrality of our elections and our offices. Now, the other thing about this is that the assembly made a decision several years ago that we would go to all mail-in elections, and she's the one who's in charge of that. And so she's uh, executing on all mail-in election in, in Anchorage, and. It, you know, it, there are some real issues with it. In this last election, we saw a lot of people who did not get their ballots counted because they were thrown out because what, for whatever reason, their signature did not match what was on their their um, license. Also, the Anchorage um, election office contracted to do Juno's recent elections, and one out of every 12 ballots from Juno was thrown out in their local elections. And that is Barbara Jones running, you know, the election for Juno. So, this seems to me that the public would have a great interest in, you know, keeping an eye on the city clerk, which before when we were running normal elections, it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. But now with mail-in elections and all the things that we've seen. Yeah. So the mayor said, let's put it as a question to the people. And what did the assembly do? They said, we are going to have our first public hearing, not next week, not next month. We're going to have our public, our first public hearing in August. So, in other words, they're going to kill it. This is a, a form of tabling it. And so, Felix Rivera on the assembly said, "Yes, I've moved that we have our first public hearing in August." And Chris Constant, who's the vice chair, he seconded it. He said, "Yep, I second it." Forrest Dunbar did something that was very unusual. They're doing this more and more, though. He thirded it. 
There's no such thing as that. But when they third things, they can. Uh, well, they put it. Hey, no, no. They put that in record, though. They made sure yeah. that that all three of them were in record. They put it in the record. Suzanne LaFrance, even as the chair said, yes. And it is thirded by. And so that prevents them from having any discussion or debate on it. So it is the first the first uh, public testimony on this will be next August. So that's their way of saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it to August and then we'll delay it some more. And basically they're just going to table it forever. The only way that we'll ever have an elected clerk is if the public decides to do a petition and, and puts a petition out there and they'll have to spend $200,000 getting, getting the signatures. It's, it's expensive. Yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you informed me that, you know, if if they did have a discussion and wanted to move, they would have to move quickly to get it on the ballot uh, coming up in April here. So it was one of those things where, um, you know, they'd have to be motivated, which we know. Why would you be motivated to get somebody who's uh, who at least appears to be on your side out of a position that is not elected, is not elected right now? So why would you be motivated to essentially work against yourself? Right. Yeah, they don't want to lose that power. They don't want to give the power over the clerk. They love it. They love the clerk working for them. And just just like in that um, last April election, we watched Chris Constant, the vice chair of the assembly, who was working on the uh, Forrest Dunbar campaign every day. That was his sole mission was to get Forrest Dunbar elected as mayor. He walks in during the counting process, delivers a $100 bouquet of flowers to Barbara Jones, the, the clerk. He didn't just leave it on the counter. He waited. He waited until she was done with her tasks and could come up front so that he could hand them to her personally so that she could be you know, grateful to him as the vice chair of the assembly for delivering her these lovely flowers. I mean, that's just bribery. And so um, you know, there's, they're not going to want to give up this power. But anyway, beat that one to death, didn't we? Well, I mean, it's always the appearance of impropriety. And, and not only that, but... Uh, We've, we've beat this dead horse. I'll just say it last time. The goal is always transparency, accountability, and responsibility for election. And by God, they're doing their power, doing everything in their power to try to combat all of that, which is amazing right. to me. Um, just a sub story to that I want to talk about. On Tuesday, uh, Mayor Bronson put up three potential candidates to, to appointees, I guess is a better way, for the election commission. Uh, me, Treadwell, Lauren Lehman, and of course, B. Hansen. Now, me, Treadwell, and Lauren Lehman were all, Christopher Constance did some, almost fell on himself trying to postpone this. But it's hard to argue two individuals who have substantial histories in this election uh, with a, a background in elections. I mean, that would look, you'd look like an amateur and you'd look stupid and you'd have a lot of explaining to do. So, you B. Would Treadwell have some and. To do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. clearly a political viewpoint on that more than anything else. So, me, Treadwell, and Lauren Lehman were confirmed. Now, B. Hansen, a little bit of background on B. Do you want to provide that? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, B. Hansen, uh, I met her when she was a, uh, an observer, an election observer for the uh, uh, the Dave Bronson campaign. I had never met her before, but she was a volunteer. She was one of the people who, tr- who got trained and went down to observe elections. She was there on election night on the recount night. That was the at the, the final in, in May, like the 12th or 13th of May. And uh, she came back and uh, she was at the, the party, the after party for the um, campaign down at the place called the main event. And somebody said, you know, are you back already at 830 at night? And she said, yeah, Barbara Jones said they're all done. They're, 
they sent us all home. They said they're done with their work for the night. And a lot of people just went, wow, that's weird. Well, one of the people there was Bernadette Wilson. She said, I'm getting in my car. I'm going to go down there and look. She went down there and sure enough, they were working in the building. They were still working down there. And she videotaped some of it. People opening the doors to the to the election office and put, poking their heads in and stuff. And there were actually things going on in there. So by that time, I had gone back to my office and B. Hansen stopped by and to, to say hello. And we got a call from Bernadette and she said, no, people are still here. I'm telling you, people are here. And B looked at me and said, no, that can't be. Well, yeah, people were still down in the election office. So B left my office and she went back down there. She ran into uh, one of the deputy clerk in the parking lot. They were leaving. And the deputy clerk rolled her window down and said, what are you doing here? And B said, well, no, I have the same question for you. What are you doing here? You told all of us observers that you were done for the night. Are you guys just done for the night now? So um, because she challenged the integrity of the clerk, of course, that cost her her, um, her her appointment there to the election commission this week. The assembly, the Marxist nine on the assembly decided that she should not be. Well, it wasn't the Marxist nine, actually. Suzanne LaFrance, the chair, and um, and John Weddleton voted with Crystal Kennedy and Jamie Allard in favor of B. Hansen. B. Hansen's a very well-spoken person. You should get her on your on your podcast here. I mean, one of these I do. You, you run, yeah, you get get her. I gotta get her phone number to you because she is so well spoken and really has a, a great grasp of this stuff. She can tell you the story herself. Absolutely. And I do want her on here because I think it's it's just another indication of the fact that when you push back and try to ask for accountability, as we've seen with Barbara Jones, a lot of oh, the changes yeah. in Title 28 were all due to the fact she did not like the Brunson administration watching what her team and her were doing. And this is another great example. I would highly recommend it'll be in the show notes to go to Assembly Confirms 2, but denies one to the Anchorage Election Commission. That's the article title. It'll be in the show notes. There is a video on there of V. Hansen actually answering Forrest Dunbar's questions. And she explains, listen, not only was this an issue, but the report by the municipal clerk was categorically incorrect. It was, Mm -hmm. as she puts it, my words were twisted. And she goes into that. But here's the deal. I think it's fascinating. When Barbara Jones was asked, hey, would you like to comment on anything in your report? That was based on these elections. The snarky comment that came back was the report speaks for itself. Well, That's what she no, said. it doesn't. That's right. No, it doesn't. And no, it no, absolutely. Because this woman right here, B. Hansen, is saying you twisted and manipulated the words. And it seems like, oh, come on, is that a big deal? Yeah. Yeah, that is official report based on what was going on. And that report was used to propagate some of the changes initially that were going to be made to title 28. So absolutely. If we're going to make policy on a report that the muni clerk decides to write, we better have an accurate up to date, correct report, including those that give information to the municipal municipal clerk on things that happen in and around the building. So it's, it's a little bit in the minutia, but I think it's so important because it's a, it's a microcosm of a bigger issue we have right now here in Anchorage. Yep. Yep. And and I, I think that maybe Barbara Jones was uh, caught a little bit surprised when uh, when Forrest Dunbar said, Barbara, what do you have to say about her casting aspersions on your report? And then she said, my report speaks for itself. I think that's because she did not want to get into it. She did. She man, she wanted to kill that thing right away. And he let her. He just gave her a pass, even though 
Uh, he gave her the opening to explain her point of view. She didn't. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, that's sideswipe comment right there that it speaks for itself. Goes to show you that, you know what? I'm not, I don't have to, not going to, nor do I want to address anything or have, like we talked about, accountability, which goes back to the reason we brought it up. I think we need to have an elected municipal clerk, but that's just my opinion now. Um, okay, Suzanne, we talked about a lot. Once again, we went over a lot of time because that's what we, we do. always do. Uh, I know, but I want to thank you. This has been incredible. I, I just might write on the title. You need to listen all the way through. Uh, a lot of great stuff, a lot of good things going on. And of course, if you want to keep up to date, you could always go to mustreadalaska.com. We do a fantastic job. Suzanne does a great job of keeping all the stories update. The, I mean, you're writing daily, constantly, even when you're supposed to be on vacation, you are writing. I've been writing because, while we've been on this podcast. I know you have. I know you have. People can't <laughs> see it, but you're always multitasking. Nope. Listen, yep. if, if you uh, if you want to keep up with stories, again, go to mustreadalaska.com. And if you want to help us continue these podcasts, uh, help us continue getting this content out, we've got an education writer that's doing some incredible stuff right now. And, of course, Suzanne is always you know pumping out content. You can help us and support us by going to mustreadalaska.com. At the top right, you'll see the donation button, $10, $5, $25, 100 a $1,000, $1 million. All of it helps keep this operation going. So that we can give you the conservative side of the news and not just have the mainstream Rita creating the narrative, but giving you a well-rounded view of what's going on. Also, we want to encourage you. We're almost at 25,000. Uh, we're, we're closing in. Like us on Facebook. Go to YouTube, youtube.com slash Alaska. We got great content on there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. And of course, we are on MeWe, Parler, YouTube, uh, excuse me, Twitter, Rumble, all under the same handle. Must read Alaska, all one word. Well, guys, thank you so much. It's been a great Thursday. It is dark here in Alaska, but you know what? Hopefully this brings you some sunshine and smiles. Suzanne, anything you'd like to say? I just noticed we're up at, um, we're now at 56,000 downloads and I just appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. We love doing it. And thanks everybody and happy new year. Absolutely. Okay. Well, until tomorrow, Carol, i